Hey, it's Richard Pyatt. What if we could put your business or organization in the spotlight with a series of podcast interviews on this show? What if you could use those interviews as outreach tools, showcasing your expertise and engaging people or organizations you'd like to work with? We can do that. Click the link in the show notes to my company, Live Mic Communications. View my short video, then let's talk. We provide purposeful exposure to help you share your story. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Richard Pyatt Show. You know, part of what we talk about has to do with rides, people, smart talk, as we like to say. And uh, this falls under a couple of categories, if not all of them. <laughs> the idea of electric-powered vehicles. Boy, uh, this is getting a lot of attention. You've heard from uh, automakers who have pledged they will build nothing but EVs in the coming years, Cadillac being one of them. I think I saw something about Buick doing the same thing. Man, so it's intriguing. And then when you deal with gas prices that have gone up and up and up, it starts to make a little bit of sense for at least some people that maybe one of my vehicles ought to be an EV. So today, one of the things that uh, has intrigued me is dealing with emergency situations, particularly fires, in these kinds of vehicles, we turn to our fire safety expert, Michael McClear with Escape, the fire safety organization. Michael is a nationally certified fire trainer. And so this is probably in the top of your mind concerns about things like this, Michael, right? It sure is, Richard. So I'm glad you reached out. And it's, it's an important topic. I mean, we've been seeing more and more electric vehicles out there on the roadways. We have over a million electric and plug-in vehicles on U.S. roadways. So it's, it's you know, quite a large number and it continues to grow, especially with these fuel prices rising. Sure. Yeah. A million now and a lot more later. And, you know, they are really interesting vehicles. I've driven a Chevy Volt in the past, V as in Victor Volt. So that that was a while ago, I guess you'd say. I also drove a Tesla once, which was really interesting. And so uh, at least people are intrigued by this, but more and more I see them next to me at lights and, uh, and driving along on highways and things. These are getting more legitimacy in the uh, automotive world, and thus that means more people are going to be parking them at home. What are you concerned about when it relates to uh, accidents and that sort of things that happen when, uh, when you have to respond? Well, first of all, let me state uh, to the listeners, the electric vehicles are safe. They, they meet stringent safety standards and testing and so forth. However, some of the challenges that we have in emergency services is whenever there's a motor vehicle crash or an incident where the battery malfunctions, uh, maybe a cell overheats or what have you and goes into thermal runaway where the, the uh, battery actually catches fire, it's much more difficult for emergency responders to actually extinguish that fire because those fires burn a lot hotter than our traditional gasoline or diesel power powered vehicles. Mm. And stop and think of all the roadways we have here in this country, Richard, not only here in Michigan, but across the country, um, across the globe, basically, there's a lot of rural roadways where there's not a convenient access to a water supply fire hydrant. So that requires the fire apparatus to actually use their tank water to be able to extinguish. And what used to take maybe a couple hundred gallons to extinguish a traditional fire in a gasoline or diesel powered vehicle, now we're talking 
thousands and thousands of gallons of water to be able to cool the batteries. The batteries are very well sealed in these vehicles, but whenever there's a problem, either a short circuit or the vehicle has been into a motor vehicle crash, that battery could ignite hours after that actual initial crash took place. So we're even concerned for our tow company operators, emergency responders that are in the towing business mm. that are taking those vehicles back to a storage area, especially if it was severely damaged, it could be a salvage yard or so forth. And if they put that next to other vehicles or other combustibles and that vehicle were to catch fire, say overnight when no one was around, it could catch the whole salvage yard on fire. So there's some real concerns out there. Wow. It sure sounds like it. And one of the things that you pointed out in some of the material you sent me that stuck with me is that uh, there's a lack of standardized emergency response guidance for this. Wow. So a fire department in, in one town or another might handle the approach to this differently, and that could make a difference. Absolutely. And again, when I talk about rural roadways, you know, we've got suburban, urban, and rural communities. 70 to 80% of our United States Fire Service is served by paid on call or volunteer firefighters right. that are serving our rural communities. And we want to make sure through the U.S. Fire Administration, through other training partners, we want to make sure the National Fire Protection Association that we offer all emergency responders, fire, police, and emergency uh, medical services, the same training, the same opportunities, so that if it's a once-in-a-lifetime situation where they actually have that emergency vehicle that catches fire, is involved in a motor vehicle crash, and is not on fire, that we're taking those same safeguards for our emergency responders. We don't want to see one emergency, Richard, become another emergency where our emergency responders now become victims. They're the rescuers, and they now re require others to rescue them if we're not uh, aware of some of these concerns. So it's something, um, as this technology continues to evolve, and as there's more of a focus now with over $5 a gallon fuel prices, it is certainly something we continue to look at. I go to a training conference every April in Indianapolis. It's called the Fire Department Instructors Conference. It's the world's largest training conference, bringing over 30,000 firefighters and emergency responders together to learn mm. some of these best practices. And the last few years, the topics continue to evolve in electric vehicles, EVs, because not only are we seeing them in our passenger vehicles, but we're now going to be seeing them in our motorhomes. Uh, we're seeing them in construction equipment, excavators and dozers and things like that. So we could be responding to a truly off-road emergency that has nothing to do with the traditional passenger vehicle. We still need to understand how the technology works and some of the risks that are out there so that we can extinguish and we can make sure that we minimize property loss and damage and also keep our responders safe, which is always our top priority. As it relates to the guidance that you'd need to standardize responses and have clear uh, perspective on, on how to handle these situations, who's leading that pack? I mean, NFPA writes guidelines and standards, don't they? So would that be them? They are involved in it, as well as the National Highway Trans uh, Transportation Safety Institute. It's a collaboration of the national experts so that everyone has a seat at the table, including the International Association of Fire Chiefs, the International um, uh, Association of Firefighters, uh, making sure that the National Volunteer uh, Fire Council is a part of this discussion so that we can expand our outreach 
um, International Society of Fire Service Instructors, ISFSI. And we can expand again what different organizations have learned and how we can take these best practices and come up with a standardized plan that's going to work for suburban, rural, and even our largest urban communities. So that should the unthinkable occur, everyone's going to be prepared and our local firefighters then can train based on their situation. Some of our communities have only state highways, state trunkways. So it could be one of those M highways or whatever your state happens to have as far as a state roadway, Ohio or, or Wisconsin or even Minnesota. But we also need to think about those interstate highways where we're getting that uh, common traffic. If we're going to be starting to see more and more trucks, commercial vehicles, having uh, electric vehicle capabilities and so forth. Not only do we have to be concerned if it catches fire, what cargo is that particular hmm. vehicle transporting down the roadway? So those are some of the things we continue to look at um, as we move forward. And again, when we bring all the great experts together, including the U.S. Fire Administration and so forth, we can really come up with some comprehensive training that's going to fit any community. And communities can look at what their risks and what their needs are and be able to train their members proactively. All right. So you would say then, uh, just generally speaking, you're confident that the right collaborations are happening to get the right guidance that you'd need going forward. I am. I am. Okay. And for professional development training, our United States Fire Administration's National Fire Academy has always been that go-to. They're really a seat at the table in any of these discussions, whether we're talking home fires, whether we're talking EVs, whether we're talking, you know, airbag deployment, whatever it happens to be, um, they're always cutting edge. They're always there because we want to make sure the National Fire Academy wants to make sure that our emergency responders in this country have the latest and greatest information. Not all communities may have that opportunity to travel to Emmitsburg, Maryland, but since the COVID pandemic, now we have opportunities just like what you and I are doing today with Zoom and a lot of these electronic platforms that we can educate, empower, and inform our emergency responders as well as the public on some of the things that they need to consider when buying an EV and some of the things to consider if there happens to be a motor vehicle crash or a fire or something like that. So there are a number of, of differences with an EV that a firefighter has to keep in mind as they approach a, an emergency situation involving one of these vehicles, right? Uh, but we're not trying to say that uh, there aren't risks in <laughs> in gas-powered vehicles when there's right. uh, similar situations. I mean, there are gas tanks and things that can ignite and so on. So uh, this is probably an on-par kind of, of uh, situation, but different, right? Absolutely. Three things that I like to keep everyone aware of and that we look at um, in the emergency response world is thermal runaway stranded energy, and battery reignition. So this is unique to EVs. That's not something that necessarily happens with our gasoline or diesel uh, powered vehicles. And when we talk about thermal runaway, we talk about when the lithium ion battery cell, because that's what powers these vehicles is lithium ion batteries, same type of battery that we have on our uh, cell phones, same type of battery we have on our smart watches. Um, airlines for years have taken precautions to keep Airline passengers safe as far as if you have checked luggage or what have you, you need to disclose if you have a lithium ion battery because under pressure, they can catch fire, things like that. They are quite safe, but there are some considerations um, that we need to, to keep in mind. When those battery cells become overheated and catch fire due to various causes, such as a lack of 
cooling system or overcharging or even a short circuit, that can cause that battery to uh, go into thermal runaway and eventually catch fire. Stranded energy, electric energy, still remains in that battery well after the fire or well after the, the vehicle crash. We need to think about that the um, lithium-ion batteries have multiple cells. That's what continues to give them their energy. It's not just one cell, but they can go for an extended period of time, your laptop, uh, even your EV and things like that. The electric energy remains in that battery without an effective means for the emergency responders or even the car dealership, the automobile dealership, to remove that um, that stagnant or stranded energy. And this typically happens if the battery is damaged under force, uh, through a motor vehicle crash, coolant leakage, or heat or water intrusion. So that stranded energy is still a concern when we're putting large amounts of water on to extinguish that fire. And then battery reignition. Individual battery cells catch fire at different times. So it could be one battery cell actually shorts out, catches fire um, upon impact of that crash. And then all of a sudden, the emergency responders are able to put out that fire. The tow company comes, they load up that vehicle, they put it on the back of their uh, flatbed, they start taking it to the um, tow yard or salvage yard, um, wherever it happens to be, body shop or what have you, and all of a sudden emergency responders get another call for an electric vehicle that's now caught fire on the back of that flatbed. Vehicle. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the concerns that we continue. And it's not just our initial emergency responders of police, fire and emergency services, um, emergency medical services, firefighter, PM, uh, EMTs, paramedics, but it's also those salvage operators. It's the law enforcement because all of those emergency responders are arriving on location uh, when something like this takes place. Do the manufacturers give uh, advice at all about handling vehicles with these kinds of batteries in them to those who buy them and maybe even to those who might have to respond to an emergency. They sure do, Richard. And one of the things that the dealerships and the major manufacturers want to be partners, they also need to be stakeholders at the table because they're the ones that are making these vehicles. Um, the battery manufacturers, they are also a stakeholder at the table. So when we talk about collaborative partners, there's a lot of different partners that are part of this ongoing discussion. And for those fire departments that happen to be blessed with having uh, an automobile dealership in their local or neighboring community, many times those dealerships will set up free training for the emergency responders so that they know exactly what to do before, during, and after the incident, which mm -hmm. is always very, very helpful. For those rural departments that may not have emergency response uh, capabilities to a car dealership or things like that, maybe it's well outside their jurisdiction. And I'm talking if we go into more of those rural communities, there are opportunities, again, through online platforms to still be able to get uh, great quantitative and qualitative messaging out there so that we can make sure everyone is trained. May not have the same hands-on opportunity that we would if we are at the dealership or mm -hmm. if we are at the major automotive manufacturer. But I know a lot of those automotive manufacturers are now partnering with national and state associations. So it could be your chief, state chiefs association for either police or fire departments. It could be uh, fire instructors association. So there are opportunities out there. And as some communities and some states are now looking at issuing continuing education credits for all different types 
of fire and emergency response. We've done continuing education for years in the emergency medical services field. These are excellent classes. These are excellent opportunities to bring those hot topics, so to speak, those dynamic topics right to our local communities. And in some cases, we can even have informational sessions for the general public as far as what they should do and how they should utilize their EV to prevent an emergency situation from taking place in the first place, or yeah. if it does what they do afterwards. Well, you, you uh, anticipate what I was going to ask next. And that is, you know, our, our intent here was to talk about the perspective from, from where you sit as a fire safety trainer and a, and a firefighter, but someone listening to this is contemplating buying an EV and they're wondering as a consumer, as a potential owner, you know, do you have a couple of thoughts for them about safety in these vehicles? Well, like any other major purchase, Richard, I would encourage consumers to do their research. There's a lot of good information out there from various different manufacturers. And as the industry is transitioning away from carbon fuel fired vehicles to more of the electric uh, for environmental reasons and so forth, as this technology continues to evolve, as we continue to add more charging capabilities and stations and things like that, locations, I know a major um, retailer in this country is Sam's Club. If you look at many of the Sam's Club parking lots, you'll see a place for EVs to be able to plug in. And some of that rapid charging can take place within 30 minutes. So by the time you're finished shopping, your vehicle could be fully charged back up through their rapid charging system. Now, if you're plugging it in at home, certainly making sure, again, you've got enough capacity, but a normal household current usually is going to take overnight to bring that EV back up. And uh, again, just do the research. There's a lot of good information out there, consumer reports and, and various different organizations that are independent and test this information. Underwriters Laboratory is also a stakeholder at the table, continuing to look at what's out there and when we have any deficiencies that occur, rather than just saying, oh, this technology is, is not any good, let's embrace it, but let's also look if there's a common void. Just like with any other new technology that's been introduced over the years and decades, it takes us time to be able to evolve. I'll, I'll equate it with home building construction. Mm -hmm. For years, there was a period of time where many of the older style homes were what we call balloon frame construction. There were no fire stops between floors. And if a fire started in the basement, it would go up the interior of the walls through the first floor, through the second floor and into the attic. The occupants may not even know right. that a fire is occurring until it leaches, smoke leaches into the building. So same type of thing with EV technology. It's evolving. It is safe. And as it continues to evolve, um, all the regulatory agencies and all the stakeholders are going to continue to look at what are some of the best practices out there. The problem is we haven't had a lot of them on the roadways. So until we get more and more of these vehicles on the roadways and see common denominators with motor vehicle crashes and things like that, look at how our traditional automobiles have evolved from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and even now to the 21st century. Um, and they are much safer today than what they ever used to be. Uh, and we'll get to the same point with EVs as far as anything that may be a concern, those certainly uh, will be addressed um, in, in coming months and coming years. All right. So this is what uh, Michael McClear does all the time, helps people understand the safety behind uh, preventing fires of any kind. 
And you're welcome to check out their website, escapeinc.org. The link is in the show notes for details on this and other safety information. It's almost endless. Michael and his crew are constantly adding to that information. So you might want to bookmark it and check as uh, you end up wondering about certain situations and fire safety. Michael's probably got some info there for you at escapeinc.org. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. As always, have a great day. You too. 